Hey, will you stand with me as we read uh, John 1, 35 to 42? The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? He said to them, uh, and they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Kepas, which means Peter. Father, we thank you for this truth in your word today. And we ask that you would open our hearts and minds and ears and our eyes to the fullness of your truth, that we may know you as you are, fully and completely, in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Well, welcome and happy new year. Hope everybody had a great new year. I was at a store uh, shortly, I think it was like January 2nd, and the guy's like, hey, did you have a good new year? I said, yeah, you know what I did? It was peaceful, and he started laughing. And I don't, I don't know why in this day and age <laughs> a peaceful new year is a bad thing, but it, it, it didn't feel like a bad thing to me. So here's my question. How many of you made New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Anybody make resolutions? I mean, is that that's something that you typically do? I, I typically don't make resolutions, but I know some of us do that. And it kind of makes sense, doesn't it, that to kind of feel like you want this change to come and you might as well start changing at the beginning of the calendar. But there's really nothing magical about, you know, so, okay, on January 1, I'm going to stop eating carbs and I'm going to start working out. You could have done that in April or even July or December. But it seems to make more sense to us to kind of synchronize our transformation or change with the calendar. It's like that, what, what people call an event horizon. There's a, a demarcation line. We're starting here. And deep down, though, we all know that resolutions don't last, right? Typically a few months is what statistics say, even if that. In fact, I was speaking to a manager at my gym one time, and, and um, he was telling me it was early in January and it was packed and, and everybody's there now, and we were talking about that. And he said, you know, it's a, it's a uh, uh, chain gym, a worldwide chain. He said, you know, we've done research and we can tell you the date that most people who join a gym in January stop coming. The date is April 16th. Most people who make a resolution to work out stop coming on April 16th. And so that kind of makes me want to open a gym called Resolutions, right? We, we open up January 1st, January 1st through April 16th, it's a gym, and then on the 17th, it becomes a donut shop. And we do business all year round, and so that might not be a bad plan, right? But we all make resolutions, don't we? We make them, we try, we fail. Then we decide we just didn't try hard enough, so we make new resolutions that might feel more realistic. Then we commit to greater effort and more willpower, and then we fail. And it's like a cycle of trying and failing that can last for years. We know we want something to change, but we just don't seem to know how to make it happen. 
And we think we just need more motivation or stronger commitment or greater willpower or a better support system or a better vision and blah, 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 blah. If I had these things, I'd keep my resolutions. And we just end up frustrated. We just kind of resign ourselves to the fate of joining a gym every January eating a salad for dinner on January 1st or committing to not take a drink for the entire month of January. And then by April 16th, we find that we're trying to be, bring transformation into our own lives through our own power and we just don't have enough. And so December rolls around again and we say on January 1, I'm going to fill in the blank. <clears throat> you know what, maybe... Maybe it's not about willpower or, or support or a vision or motivation. Maybe it really comes down simply to the difference between change and transformation. See, change is doing all I can through the exercise of my willpower, my choices, and my efforts to do things differently. I just want to stop doing this and start doing that. Transformation, however is engaging in a training process whereby I become the kind of person who does things differently. I'm not trying to do things differently, I'm becoming a person who does things differently. Transformation is all about the source within us, the place where we act and we will and we desire and doing comes from that. And so maybe it's just simply change or transformation. And so in John 1, verse 38, Jesus asked this question, what are you seeking? And that's an important question. It was a life-changing question for Andrew and John, but it's also an important question for each of us. See, unfortunately, often we don't know how to answer that question, except with ideas of self-improvement. What are you seeking? I'm seeking to get in shape. I'm seeking to get bigger or smaller. I'm seeking to eat better. I'm seeking to not get angry. I'm seeking to, to whatever it is, I wanna be more generous. But all those things are self-improvement ideas. And so when Jesus says, what are you seeking? We tend to come back to him with the self-improvement. Those things are not rooted in transformation. They're rooted in change. And so we say, I need to change because life doesn't work when I act this way or do these things. I need to change because I'm not getting what I want out of life. The reality is, it's about transformation. And so for us at Temple, our answer to this question, what are you seeking, goes in a little different direction. And so this week, we're kicking off our first series of the new year. It's called The Good and Beautiful God, it's Falling in Love with the God Jesus Knows. We're gonna be walking through a book of the same name by a guy named James Bryan Smith. He's a pastor and a professor, and he's the executive director of the uh, School of Spiritual Formations at Friends University in Wichita, Kansas. He actually has four books in this series. It's called The Good and Beautiful Series. And I encourage you to find a group of three or four people. I've been walking through this with a group of guys and it's been fantastic. I know other people have. But find a group of three or four people to walk through this series together. See, the vision for this series is a vision that I would love to see each of us adopt in our own individual walk with Christ. And so consider Jesus' question, what are you seeking? 
as I read you the first paragraph from this book, let that question resonate with you as you listen to these words. This is Jim Smith's opening paragraph in chapter one of The Good and Beautiful God. Would you like to have abiding peace? Would you like to have a heart that's filled with love? Would you like to have the kind of faith that sees everything, even your failures and losses, in light of God's governance for good? Would you like to have the kind of hope that endures even in discouraging circumstances? If that's what you are seeking, then you've come to the right place today. The reason we want this is because this is the very life that Jesus had and it's what he's offering us. So listen to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For, uh, for one degree of, I'm sorry, excuse me, transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What are you seeking? My hope is that as a church, we would all answer this question the same way. Based on 2 Corinthians 3.18, we are seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ over the entire course of our lives by the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, that would be amazing if Jesus walked in here and saw us following around behind him and turned around and said, what are you seeking? And we said, Lord, we're seeking to be transformed into your image over the entire course of our lives by your spirit. And when that happens, our lives begin to manifest the glory of God and become a blessing to others. And so if someone asks you, what is your church all about? There's the answer. That's the elevator speech answer to what is my church about? We are about seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ over the entire course of our lives by the work of the Holy Spirit. And as a church, we seek to do that by loving God passionately and serving neighbors generously and growing in Christ intentionally. And so the point of this book, The Good and Beautiful God, is to know the God that Jesus knows so that we will fall more passionately in love with that same God. And the reason a book like this is helpful is because we all have lesser ideas of God. None of us has a full and complete picture of God. And we want to know God as he truly is. So listen to this quote from A.W. Tozer that might help clarify why we should be a people who are constantly seeking God, never satisfied with this idea that I've met God and I know God and I stand here now, but constantly seeking him. This is what Tozer writes. To have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love, scorned indeed by the too easily satisfied religionist, but justified in happy experience by the children of the burning heart. What are we seeking? In short, I hope what we're seeking is to become, as Tozer says, the children of the burning heart, inflamed with a passionate love for God and allowing God to transform us into the very image of Christ. And for that to happen, we must know God as fully and deeply and truly as possible 
because we will become like the God we worship, which means to seek God who is less than who God is, less than the God Jesus knows, we will become like that God. And so no one but Jesus has a perfect and full understanding of God. So my prayer is that this series leads us towards that same understanding of God. Now there are a broad spectrum of ideas and concepts about God, and everyone in this room, we have something slightly different. But I wanna show you a video that kind of illustrates how broad people's ideas of God are. Hey everybody, we just wanted to get an idea of what people think about God, so we're out in our city and we're gonna see what they say. What do you think that God is like? I don't think it's a gender conforming thing. Okay. Um, it's a powerful force. I believe it's a form of energy of the universe and the good things that we do, that is God. God is everything. He's total for me. I don't know, probably it's big. Yeah, it's smart. What do you think God thinks about you? Uh, I think God thinks I'm like an average human being. He just sees everyone the same, so I guess like I fit into his like, oh, you're fine in my eyes. I don't think God spends time thinking about me. What do you think God thinks about you? Um, I think that he respects everyone, including myself, and is forgiving of my sins, I guess. I think he thinks I'm so important and I'm always amazed at how he can look at so many people in the world and know them individually and care about what's happening to them on a minute level. He or she's kind of above thought, so I, I really can't say, because if he created us, then you know, I must love us regardless. What do you think God is like? I don't really spend a whole lot of time thinking about God. God is a powerful white light that is uncomprehensible. Uh, I couldn't answer that one in 10 seconds, man. God is love. That's it. It's concise. Yeah. Hey, do you guys have a second? All right. <laughs> what do you think God is like? I think God is a big cloud of gas. It's great. Uh, very generous for all the people, or for whole humanity. What do you think that God is like? He's a very kind person. He's a person who accepts everyone for who they are. Well, I would say like me, but in a good way. Since I'm created in his image, I like to think that he understands my feelings, the good things that happen, the bad things that happen. So I, I resonate with God. Isn't that interesting? So many different ideas. Little bits of truth in most of them. Some of them just way out there. The, the hippie guy on the bench, he's just a bright light, man. Everything's good. But there's, there's little bits of truth, but not a full picture anywhere. You know what the truth is? The reality of it is that for each one of us, we have bits of truth, but we don't have the full picture. And so the reality then becomes, how do I get that full picture? Here's the thing. No matter what a concept of God is, we have to acknowledge that none of them is complete with the exception of Jesus' idea of God. Jesus' concept of God is the only one that's complete. I'd like to think that we have a more accurate concept than most of these people on this video, but it's still not complete. 
So back to the question, what are you seeking? We as a church are seeking to be transformed into the image of Jesus, seeking to be people who would glorify God and bless others in our daily lives, seeking to become the kind of people that Jesus wants to make us into, the person he describes in Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Let me go back to resolutions just for one moment. See, here's the thing. We tend to apply the same strategy to our spiritual transformation as we do to our self-improvement change. We think that willpower and motivation and commitment and choices will somehow bring us spiritual transformation. But transformation in Christ was never about making you a better, more cleaned up version of yourself. It was always about making you new from the inside out. That's what it means to be born again. And born again as a new person with a new source of everything that is life for you. So listen to this in Colossians 1.27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if you think back to 2 Corinthians 3.18, transformed from glory to glory to the image of his likeness, the glory we hope for then is the very image of Christ in us. The image of Christ in us as our source of all doing and seeking and speaking and acting and wanting and willing. And it's a completely new source You see why resolutions fail? We make commitments from the same old source that couldn't do it in the first place. No one woke up on January 1 and said, you know, I've never had a desire to get in shape my entire life, but today I do. Something must have changed in me. Let me go do this. Nobody woke up on January 1 and said, you know, I've never had a desire to get my cholesterol lower, but today I do. Pass the broccoli, please. That's not how we operate. We can make all the resolutions to change that we desire, but until the source in us is different and new, we will not succeed. That's the difference between change and transformation. Transformation comes from the new source, Christ in us, as Colossians 1.27 says. That's the offer of God in Christ. And because it's the offer of God, he must bring it about. We cannot. He brings it about as we participate with him in our transformation process. And how does that work? Well, it starts with answering the question, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? We step right over that question. But as human beings, we have an innate ability to get what we want. And we end up with the wrong thing and we never stop to think, is that what I was thinking? Is that what I was desiring? Is that what I was pressing towards? So it starts with, what are you seeking? The answer, hopefully, is I'm seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. And then this divinely appointed process of God begins to work in us. 
changing the source of all that I am and all that I do from the self-seeking lesser desires of this world to the very desires of Christ. I begin to want what he wants. And so what am I seeking? I don't know, but I'm seeking what he seeks. I don't know what that is yet, but I'm okay with that. And this is how James Bryan Smith illustrates it. He illustrates it with something called his triangle of transformation. So as you look at that, I want to walk through it very briefly. It starts in the mind, beginning to allow the Holy Spirit to refine our narrative of God. That's where it all starts. So that my narrative of God aligns with Jesus's narrative of God. And then I begin to think on God the way Jesus did. Now, in order to have my narrative of God, my thoughts of God realigned, refined, and awakened, I have to start with humility. I have to be able to say, you know, I know God, but I don't know God. Which is perfectly reasonable if you think that as an infinite being, the only way I have to know him is with a finite mind. Therefore, I will never know him fully. That's the very truth of Romans 12 too. Listen to this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Transformation begins with what we think. Resolutions don't touch what I think. Resolutions touch what I will. And my will is inadequate. It will never get me to the place I'd like to be. Transformation begins with what we think. Are our thoughts and beliefs aligned with the world or are we letting God renew our minds by putting the very mind of Christ in us? So that's the first key element. The next key element is engaging in new practices, what Smith calls soul training exercises, so that we give our lives the space to walk in the spirit instead of in the flesh, as Galatians 5.16 says. In short, what we do orients us towards the spiritual instead of the flesh. What we do aligns and focuses our mind and our desires on what is of God instead of what is of this world. The next element in this triangle is participating in community that gives you space to reflect and have dialogue with others about the things of God so that we learn and grow from each other's responses, from each other's presence. That's the invitation of 1 John 1.7, to walk in the light together in fellowship with one another. And then finally, and most importantly, it all happens under the leading of the Holy Spirit. Spirit-led, Spirit-indwelt, Spirit-guided. See, here's the thing. Seeking transformation through the Holy Spirit works. Nothing else does. I can change apart from the Holy Spirit, but I cannot be transformed apart from the Holy Spirit. Now, back to the beginning. Why did my resolutions fail? Because I made them from the same old, tired, worn-out source, me. But as I am transformed by the Holy Spirit into the image of Christ, I all of a sudden act, will, and do from a different place. And that's where the transformation comes. We seek transformation through the Holy Spirit's work and nothing else. 
we, we won't experience the frustration of failed change. We'll actually experience the bliss of being transformed into the image of Christ. Knowing that as Philippians 1.6 says, he who began a good work in you will complete it. He began it, he will complete it. I don't have to press into effort and willpower and motivation and support and vision from the same broken source to try to affect this transformation. God began it, he will complete it. The Holy Spirit is the agent of transformation, not my doing. There is nothing I can do that will become the agent of my transformation, but there is much I can do to participate with the Holy Spirit as the agent of my transformation. I can explore and I can examine my narratives of God all I want, but without the Holy Spirit leading me into all truth, my narratives of God will never be made more full and complete. I can practice all sorts of spiritual disciplines and develop all kinds of new habits, but without the Holy Spirit doing a work in me through my practices, I will not be transformed. I can have great community with friends and family that is loving and warm and kind, but without the Holy Spirit at the center of that community, we will never draw closer to God, only to closer to each other. So what are you seeking? You're seeking change or transformation? I want us to be a church that's made up of people who long for an ever-increasing and deepening passionate love for God that transforms us into people who serve our neighbors generously as we allow the Holy Spirit to renew our minds with truth and we seek to engage Spirit-empowered practices that transform us, which lead us to growing in Christ intentionally. And the end result is that every moment of our lives, we are being transformed from glory to glory into the very image of Christ. That's the invitation. That does not come from resolution. It only comes by the spirit-empowered process of transformation that we must seek. But all of this begins with loving God passionately. Listen to this quote from the good and beautiful God. What is it that you really want? What we truly desire, what we are most passionate about will determine how we organize our lives. And I would bet you that every one of us knows that to be true from our own experience. We organize our lives around what we care most about, what we're most passionate about. Now, for just a moment, let your mind wander if it hasn't already. Let your mind wander to a place of thinking about what your life, the organization of your life would look like in the day-to-day if what you were most passionate about was God. How would your time be spent? How would your dollars be spent? How would you respond to those who hurt you and frustrate you? How would you meet evil when it comes at you? Think on that just for a moment. Does it sound good? Does it look good in your mind? Does it look better than what you have now? Because that's the invitation. The invitation for us is as we become people who love God as he is more passionately, we will organize our lives around him. 
everything will change. But in order to experience this radical reorganization of our lives, we have to examine a few things. We have to examine what we think about, our narratives. What do I believe to be true in reality? Is it something that's just convenient to me? Do I step over the truths of God that feel a little uncomfortable? Or do I say, no, Lord, you reveal to me who you are in fullness? We have to examine how we practice our faith, the spiritual disciplines that we engage in. And we have to examine how we interact with our social community. Is my community built around Christ at the center? Or is it built around hockey or golf or shopping or eating? What are you building your community around? And we can do all that simply by allowing Jesus to ask us exactly what he asked John and Andrew. What are you seeking? John and Andrew answered Jesus' question, what are you seeking, with a question of their own. Where are you staying? Jesus responded with, come and see. It's an interesting exchange. Listen to what Smith writes about this exchange. Jesus, however, knows their hearts. They are following him because they are passionate about living a good and beautiful life. And they are hoping that Jesus will lead them to it. Jesus answers with a simple yet profound answer. Come and see. He answers both questions. The one about where he is residing and the one about what they are seeking. He knows that if they follow him, they will find what they truly want in life. I know that that same thing is true for all of us. If we will follow him, we will find what we truly want in life. If you seek to have a good and beautiful life, it's only found in one person, and that person is Jesus. So for you this morning, let this series kick off the good and beautiful life. Let this opening of this series be an invitation, an invitation into loving God more passionately. But I know for some, it may be an invitation into starting that loving relationship with God in Christ. If you haven't started that loving relationship with God through Christ and you want a life that is good and beautiful, I want to encourage you to come speak with our prayer partners after the service down here. But if you know God through Christ, I want to invite you into the soul training exercise at the end of chapter one. Each chapter of the book has a soul training exercise at the end of it. This one, some of you are going to be like, oh, I don't want to do that. But it is a good one. This might be the best spiritual discipline anyone's ever presented to me. Are you ready for it? It's sleep. Sleep. You see, here's the thing. All transformation is a product of discipline and grace. We practice spiritual disciplines, what, what the author calls soul training exercises, so that we can slow down our racing minds and bodies to experience God's grace. Sleep is a perfect way to do that. I want to invite you into finding a morning this week to just sleep in. 
just resting in God's grace, knowing that he is active and working while you are asleep. Maybe you can't sleep in. Maybe you've got kids that are young and whether you try to sleep in or not, it doesn't matter to them. I had a friend who the, the years ago, when he wanted to sleep in, they figured out that if they dump Honey Nut Cheerios in the crib, they stuck to their baby's fuzzy little onesie. And so when she woke up and was hungry, she could just pluck Cheerios off of herself. And it kept her in bed a little bit longer. Maybe try that. Um, if CPS comes looking, I didn't say it, but maybe try that. But regardless... The point is to view sleep as an act of surrender, an act of trust, is to say, Lord, I know I can do nothing apart from your grace, not even my own transformation. I need you to work in me, so I will trust you and surrender to you by sleeping as you work. It's really a fairly simple concept. One of the things I love to do in the morning when I wake up is to just stop before I get out of bed and go, God, I know you have been working these last eight hours. Help me see where you've been working and let me walk into it. Because here's what I know. God's day doesn't start when I get up. He's always at work. And he's active when we're not. And so to participate with what he's doing means to step into what he's already doing, not think that he's somehow waiting for me to wake up so he can do something. You know, if, if, if you've already made a commitment to Christ, we're gonna prepare to take communion right now. And I wanna invite you into using this time to allow Jesus to ask you that simple question. What are you seeking? Maybe the answer is simply, I don't know. Lord, I don't know. Maybe you have a deep, deeper answer that speaks to pains and hurts in your life. But don't feel pressed to give him an answer in this moment. Let the question sit. Allow it to linger in your spirit. But know this, just as we get ready to take these elements as a reminder of the redeeming work of Jesus on the cross, allowing God to do a work of transformation in us will always lead us to our own cross. The place where he will crucify all that is in us that is not of himself. We can think about the outcome of transformation and say, what a great idea, but know this, transformation always includes a crucifixion. We have to be willing to allow him in trust to take us to that place where he says, all that is in you that is not of me, I will put to death. May not be comfortable. Sometimes it might even be painful. But oh, the glory of what you'll be on the other side. And so as we take these elements, we not only remember the crucifixion of Jesus, but we also remember the resurrection, the glory of what's on the other side. And as he does that, he will leave us with the perfect life of Christ as our very own life. That's what the resurrection's about, access to the vital, dynamic life of Christ that is now. So I wanna encourage you 
to spend some time reflecting on that question. What are you seeking? Let God speak to you. And when you feel ready, you can take the bread, you can take the juice. I'm gonna pray, the band's gonna come up. And, and as they play this song, when you feel led, feel free to stand up and join in. But don't feel any pressure to cut this time short as the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Father, we are so grateful, so grateful that you sent your son to die for us, to redeem us, to give us life in himself. And Lord, we know that that's a life that we can't live in the old source, from the old place that is only me. That's a life that can only come out of a changed source in us, a born again spirit and soul in us that is the very life of Christ in us. And so God, we know that what you want to do in us is good and beautiful because we know that what you want to do in us is bring to life your son in our lives for your glory and the blessing of others. As you ask us, what are we seeking? Lord, move us from wherever we may be to the place that can answer honestly and sincerely and say, what I am seeking is the very life of your son in me as my source. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. 